Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Seven seven three eight one three eight one one eight seven seven three eight one three eight one one. I will talk to you a little bit about Thanksgiving later in the show. Didn't go exactly as planned, but that said, I'm getting all these emails and texts from friends and foes alike. Foes, I don't know how they get my contact information. And the big story for the last several days has been Donald Trump at Mar-a-Lago. Nothing new with that, right? By the way, he's the ex-president. But there's always a five-alarm fire when it comes to the media and other people when it comes to Donald Trump. I don't quite get it. But here we are. And of course, you know, Kanye West and somebody named Nick Fuentes. Well, honestly, I never heard of before, let alone saw what he looked like. Uh, we're at Mar-a-Lago. And met with President Trump for lunch, I think. Kanye West and President Trump go back a ways. Nick Fuentes, the president, said he didn't know who the guy was, never met him before. And Kanye West, who wanted to see President Trump, brought in and apparently a few other people with him. And President Trump put out a statement stating, and I paraphrase, that Kanye West is troubled and he wanted to talk to him. That he had treated him well, so he agreed to meet with him and spoke to him. Now... Kanye West is a reprobate. He is, now at least, an out-of-the-closet, Jew-hating, anti-Semite. And come to learn this, Nick Fuentes 
is the same, and a Holocaust denier and a white supremacist. I read, I think he was 20, he's 24 years old, a real punk. So how did he get into Mar-a-Lago? How did both of them get into Mar-a-Lago? I have not talked to President Trump. I have no idea. But I think it would help if they muscled up the people who review the list of those who will, in fact, go to Mar-a-Lago in order to screen out people like Nick Fuentes and Kanye West. Wasn't that long ago Kanye West was embraced by many of you and many in the media. He was embraced by liberals and Democrats, the black community. He was embraced by conservatives and even appeared on Fox for a long couple of interviews. But that's not the only place. Hollywood and so forth and so on. It's clear that he's a sick bastard. And it's getting worse and worse and worse. Should President Trump have met with him? I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have. Why meet with him? In fact, I feel President Trump should distance himself from him. Because here's what I do know. Nobody who actually knows Donald Trump, who actually knows him, believes he's an anti-Semite or a white supremacist. Including those who have posted on social media. And some were right out of the box. They sent me copies of their tweets or copies of their statements. That's all good. I got it. I don't know if they expect me to repeat them or to retweet them. I don't do that stuff. Not in a situation like this. But this has gone on now for several days. And I think back to all the anti-Semites that are on TV today. The professors, the hosts. I think of all the anti-Semites in the Democrat Party today. What I talked about last week, there's Chris Christie at the Republican Jewish Coalition. And not once does he talk about the spreading of anti-Semitism. But he's immediately out of the box that Trump is not qualified to be president. They bring on Meghan McCain, who hates Trump, who says the same thing. But it's not just them. There are people who work for him who are friends of mine, who have condemned this. There are people who represent legitimate Jewish organizations, not the ADL and so forth who've put out very thoughtful statements. And I concur with some of them. I concur with some of them. That is, after Conway West, uh, West, 
revealed himself so thoroughly and persistently to be an unconscionable, disgusting Jew hater. You cut him off. There's nothing to celebrate there. There's nothing to redeem. Fuentes, who I said I didn't know about, whose picture now I've seen, is a disgusting and sick little bastard. I don't know what kind of following he has. And so forth. So I can understand why people are concerned or they raise concerns about this. People who have a true heart. People who aren't trying to politicize this. Especially people who love President Trump or work for President Trump loyally and raise questions about how this would happen. But let me tell you a little secret. The reason it's not the end of the world is because Donald Trump has demonstrated that he's not anti-Jew, he's not anti-black, he's not anti-Hispanic. Quite the contrary. He has demonstrated through action that he is the most pro-Jewish, pro-Israel president in modern history, perhaps in history, period. And all you have to do is ask the Israelis, not the secularists in America, the Israelis. Even on our college campuses, he reached in signing an executive order to try and protect Jewish students who are abused on our college campuses. More on that in a moment. And as for white racism, how and where? How and where? So people with truly heartfelt views who are not trying to exploit this for political reasons. Their views I'm interested in. But that excludes a lot of people. Including Joe Biden. Including most of the Congressional Black Caucus. Including most of the media. Including the New York Times and the Washington Post including MSNBC and Al Sharpton. When we come back, I'll explain exactly what I'm talking about. Now, for those aggregators out there who are basically parasites, who produce nothing but internet methane, make sure you don't quote me out of context or I'm going to sue your ass because I've had enough of you guys. I have more to say this entire hour. It'll be available at marklevinshow.com slash links. 
You don't need aggregators to interpret what I'm saying. I'm saying it on the air to millions of people. But I'm not done. I'll be right back. Lovin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. going to take a little time, folks, so stick with me. You notice Donald Trump did not praise Kanye West, and he didn't praise this guy Fuentes. You're saying, well, that's a low bar. Maybe so. But here's May 19, 2021, Ryan Severda, Daily Wire. Joe Biden praises Rashida Tlaib. President Joe Biden praised far-left Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, who has a history of expressing anti-Semitism. Following a confrontation, the two had a tarmac on a tarmac about Israel. I admire your intellect. I admire your passion. I admire your concern for so many other people, he said. From my heart, I pray that your grandmom and family are well. I promise you I'll do everything to see that they are. Later in the day, Biden joked about running over a reporter with a truck after the reporter asked Biden if she could ask him a question about Israel, which apparently she couldn't. So this uh, curb with Biden and Talib came after Palestinian terrorists fired well over 3,500 rockets at Israel, killing a dozen Israeli citizens and wounding hundreds more. Biden also greenlighted at that point $735 million sale of precision weapons to help Israel defend itself. But that said, Talib is a virulent anti-Semite. Omar is a virulent anti-Semite. When in the floor of the House of Representatives, there was an effort underway by Republicans to try and pass a resolution to condemn Omar for her anti-Semitic comments, not once, not twice, but constant. It was the Democrat leadership under Nancy Pelosi that watered it down, never mentioned her name, and the media thought it was perfectly fine. Palestinian government still pays terrorists as USA dollars flow. Adam Credo. Who are the anti-Semites, America? Palestinian government is still paying imprisoned terrorists stipends and inciting violence against Israel. In the free beacon, even as the Biden administration provides nearly half a billion dollars in American taxpayer funds. According to a non-public State Department report recently furnished to Congress. 
The law, the Taylor Force Act, was passed in 28, banned the State Department from allocating aid to the Palestinian government until it could certify payments to terrorists and incitements against Israel ceased. You know who uh, pushed that law and signed that law, Mr. Producer? Donald Trump. Biden bypasses it. Joe Biden's praise for segregation spans decades. You won't see this at Mediate, Drudge Report, any of these other places. By Ashton Pittman. Young Delawarean wowed the Southern crowd as he drew from Confederate mythos. This is early in his career, 42 years old. Even as the sun glistened upon his thinning hair one bright Mississippi day in DeKalb, Mississippi, Senator Biden stood out as the youngest of the senators speaking at the U.S. Senator John C. Stennis birthday party. Stennis, a well-known segregationist. It was August 3, 1985. The 42-year-old Biden was a rising star. And with the 1988 presidential race coming up, some hoped he might help lead it out of the wilderness after Reagan. He wowed the Southern crowd as he drew from Confederate myths to pile praise upon Stennis, who was known for decades of resistance to civil rights. Biden compared him to Stonewall Jackson, a fabled Confederate military commander known for his tactical prowess. He said it was said of Stonewall Jackson, he's an avalanche from an unexpected quarter, a thunderbolt from a clear sky, and yet his character will make him a Stonewall more than any man I've ever known. Biden said, reciting a quote from a 1920 book attributes to the lecturer and Stonewall Jackson's aide, James Power Smith. And Mr. Chairman, Biden continued, when you stand on the floor of the Senate and you point a finger and you raise your voice, it's like a bolt from a clear sky. And when you speak, everyone listens. And all my colleagues have said here today, truly stands like a stone wall. He's a rock bed of integrity in the United States Congress. Even in the company of other segregationists, Biden did not mention Stennis' storied opposition to civil rights. And of course, they talk about Biden not just opposing racial integration, but one of the leaders working with these Democrats to stop it. And the racist language that he used in 1973, his reference to George Wallace as praising him. And more and more and more on the true white supremacist racist who comments on a meeting, a lunch that was held at Mar-a-Lago The sickening irony is beyond belief. More when I return. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. 
My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. When Mark Levin speaks, the backbenchers take notes. Call in now, 877-381-3811. The history of Joe Biden's racism and segregation is so broad and so deep. It's so involved, I don't have time to cover it tonight. But that didn't stop all the Democrats, some independents and some Republicans from voting for him. It didn't stop the New York Times and the Washington Post from endorsing him. Did it? Why is that? Why did they do that? Trump has no history like Biden does. None whatsoever. Neither does any other Republican that I'm aware of. None. Then we have Barack Obama and the Jewish issue. I've been saying for years that Obama was an anti-Semite. Attacked by the Democrats and their surrogates in the media. As I have said that the Biden administration is anti-Semitic. Attacked by the Democrats and the surrogates in their media. Why? If what I'm saying is true, why? The Atlantic, Atlantic Journal-Constitution, February 6, 2018. Could this long-lost photo have derailed Obama's 2008 campaign? It was a normal Wednesday on Capitol Hill when photographer Askia Muhammad told a freshman senator from Illinois, you look just like the minister. The minister was Nation of Islam leader Louis Farrakhan, who'd been invited to speak at the weekly Congressional Black Caucus lunch in 2005. It's another issue. You want to discuss it? Let's discuss it. The Congressional Black Caucus, many of its members, past and current, are adoring of Louis Farrakhan. Why is that? And why is that not mentioned by the media? He's much better looking than I am, Obama quipped, as the two men stood for what Muhammad called a grip and grin, a single frame. Later that afternoon, Muhammad says, he got a call from a congressional black caucus staffer requesting that he send them the photo for safekeeping. Instead, Muhammad sent the image to Farrakhan, but says he kept a copy for himself. Nobody had seen the photo for 13 years until now. Again, this is from 2018. In other words, when the coast was clear. When the coast was clear, he swore himself to secrecy, did Muhammad. U.S. Representative Hank Johnson, Democrat, said a handshake does not equate to political support, but if the photo had been released ahead of 2008 election, would have affected the outcome of the election, Johnson said. Wow. Well, that must just be an accident then, don't you think, ladies and gentlemen? And yet I have a list of Democrats here who have been at events with Farrakhan, who have praised Farrakhan, 
Keith Ellison worked with Farrakhan. He became the deputy chair of the DNC. As a congressman, he's obviously the attorney general of Minnesota. Democrats apparently like him. They vote for this anti-Semite. Maxine Waters. She's an icon among Democrats, isn't she? Isn't she chair of the powerful banking committee? James Clyburn, the number three. He was at an event with Farrakhan. Praised Farrakhan. Refused to apologize. Sheila Jackson Lee. Raphael Warnock when he was a preacher. Maybe still is. Who knows? And the list goes on. What about that? Is that a problem? What about the anti-Semites in the Progressive Caucus on Capitol Hill? What about the anti-Semites among the most popularized and celebrated and media-promoted progressives on Capitol Hill? What's that all about? What about Maggie Haberman, who goes on TV, who is voluntarily an employee at the New York Times, where she apparently is very popular, gets a lot of awards, working for a newspaper whose correspondent in Berlin was sympathetic to Hitler in the Third Reich, works for a newspaper that covered up the Holocaust. It's been well established. Works for a newspaper today that continues to hire anti-Semites and promote anti-Semitism. Is she really an authority on Donald Trump and anti-Semitism when she goes on TV and makes an ass out of herself? Is she? Or how about Joe Scarborough, who introduced a resolution in 2009 to condemn Al Sharpton when Joe was a member of the House? who now has Al Sharpton on a show on a regular basis to discuss, among other things, anti-Semitism. And what is Al Sharpton doing at MSNBC anyway, along with Joy Reid, two bigots? Kind of wonder, don't you? And all those fantastic professors they bring on, many of whom are anti-Semites, many of whom spout bigotry. Look at this. Imagine this, 2013 Muslim Brotherhood infiltrates Obama administration, Investors Business Daily. The radical Muslim Brotherhood is often dismissed in the media as a distant threat. In fact, this sworn U.S. enemy isn't just overseas, it's inside the gates of the White House. At least six American Islamist activists who work closely with the Obama administration are Muslim Brotherhood operatives enjoy strong influence over U.S. policy, according to the Investigative Project on Terrorism and Center for Security Policy in Washington. As we list the worst of these subversives, bear in mind that the FBI in 2004 uncovered the U.S. Muslim Brotherhood's strategic plan to infiltrate the U.S. government and sabotage it from within during a raid of a Brotherhood operative's home in D.C. suburb of Annandale on suspicion of terrorist activities. The stated goal of the document, turn America into an Islamic nation. Now, why would people like this be at the White House with Obama? Also Jew haters. Did I mention they're anti-Semites? Why would they be? Why would they be? How did they get through security? Do you want to hear another sickening irony? The head of the Anti-Defamation League, a guy by the name of Greenblatt. I'll play him later. All over Trump. All over TV. This is evidence that we're now a white nationalist society. 
this piece of crap sat as special assistant to Barack Obama throughout his anti-Semitic administration. As Muslim Brotherhood and care individuals were coming in and out of the out of the White House, and the Anti-Defamation League makes the fatal mistake, at least for its reputation, of hiring this guy to be the head of the ADL. He also embraces critical race theory. Racist. The media know who to call on. Look at this. The LA Times suppresses Obama's Khalidi bash tape. This is from Andy McCarthy when he was a, a more sound thinker. Let me put it to you that way. Obama heirs and PLO supporters toast Edward Syed's successor, but the press doesn't think it's quite as newsworthy as Sarah Palin's wardrobe. You see, ladies and gentlemen, people believe things were said there, including by Barack Obama, then an Illinois state senator. Bill Ayers was there. Terrorist turned education professor, sponsored by the Arab American Action Network, which had been founded by Khalidi and his wife, Mona, formerly a top English translator for Arafat's press agency. Well, what did Obama say? Well, apparently a lot. And there's a videotape of it that has never been released. Why is that? Khalidi, Rashid Khalidi, is a radical who's defended Hamas, supported, at least in part, their mission. That's Obama. Donald Trump has never done anything like this. Ever. Never. Here we have David Rutz from the Free Beacon. Sharped and heavily courted by 2020 Democrats 2019 House Sharpton is heavily courted by Democrats seeking his endorsement as they pursue the 2020 presidential nomination let's see who went to visit him to kiss his ring Kamala Harris Cory Booker Kirsten Gillibrand Beto O'Rourke Sharpton has become a mainstream figure in the Democratic Party in sharp contrast to his early days as a fiery jumpsuit-wearing racial antagonist known for his invective against Jews and police. Yes, which wound up in very, very violent activities, including death. But the Democrats consult with him. He was at the Obama White House repeatedly. He's been... Biden has spoken to him, including most recently, about talking to him about running in 2024 again. Uh, He's been uh, much tighter at the time with Michael Bloomberg, who was then the mayor. And he's just swell now. And, of course, he has a show on MSNBC. And he's a frequent guest on some of the other programs, including with Scarborough, where he's apparently an expert on anti-Semitism. Among others, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, Sherrod Brown, Amy Klobuchar. Many of them are Jewish. Who went to see Sharpton. Have you ever heard of that? Was there a lot of reporting on it? 
were Democrats asked about it? What did Chuck Todd have to say to anybody? Uh, Chuck Todd was still in his diapers. How about the other Sunday shows? Hmm. Look at this. Reports. Netanyahu humiliated by Obama snub. Now, can you imagine Obama doing that to the leader of any other country? In the Middle East? Or the continent of Africa? Or Southeast Asia? No. But the, the Jew Netanyahu, not a problem. For a head of government to visit the White House and not pose for photographers is rare. For a key ally to be left to his own devices. Although the president withdraws to have dinner in private was until this week unheard of. Yet this is how Benjamin Netanyahu was treated by Obama on Tuesday night, according to Israeli reports on a trip viewed in Jerusalem as a humiliation. If they're failing to extract a written promise of concessions on settlements. You know, settlements, Judea and Samaria, were the Jews of the indigenous peoples. They're the only indigenous peoples the left-wing Democrats don't recognize. Obama walked out of his meeting with Netanyahu, but invited him to stay at the White House, consult with advisors, and let me know if there's anything new, a U.S. congressman who spoke to the prime minister said. It was awful, said the congressman. One Israeli newspaper called the meeting a hazing in stages, poisoned by such mistrust that the Israeli delegation eventually left rather than risk being eavesdropped on by the White House. Has Obama ever treated any other head of state, even an enemy head of state that way? Then there was this. Kerry's speech undermines Israel. Remember this speech? In a speech from Jerusalem, Netanyahu criticized Kerry for spending more time criticizing Israeli settlement activity than condemning Palestinian acts of terror. He said the remarks were almost as unbalanced as a UN Security Council resolution ratified last week that denounced Israel's settlements in Israel territory. Israelis do not need to be lectured about the importance of peace by foreign leaders, Netanyahu said. The Israeli leader said the conflict with the Palestinians has always been about Israel's very right to exist, and we know this from Talib, who talked about pushing them into the Mediterranean. This is the first time that the U.S. supported the passing of a resolution condemning Israel. And then Kerry had the the gonads to say, if the choice is one state, Israel can either be Jewish or democratic. It cannot be both. And it won't ever really be at peace. In other words, the Jewish state, which was founded as a Jewish state, given what happened in Europe and so forth. But there it is, the Jewish state. It goes back thousands and thousands of years with a lot of evidence to prove it. Well, you can either be Jewish or you can be democratic, but you can't be both. One of the great anti-Semitic lines in history. And I will take a break soon. But from the Talbot here, as the leading targets of hate crime, Jews are routinely being attacked in the streets in New York City. Do you know who's mostly attacking the Jews in New York City, Mr. Producer? The Orthodox Jews, with their garb and their hair. Do you, ladies and gentlemen? And you know it's never mentioned, never mentioned, elements of the black community. 
And you know why it's never mentioned? Because the Democrats that run that city don't do a damn thing about it. And do you know why most of our colleges and universities, why Jewish kids can't wear their yarmulkes or be open about their faith? Because of the Palestinian students. Now I've said it. This is the truth. You want to talk about anti-Semitism? It goes well beyond Mar-a-Largo, which is ridiculous. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Folks, our great nation was founded on the principle of all men are created equal. But far too many of our nation's colleges and universities, including those in the so-called Ivy League, continue to insist on using race as a factor for admissions. And the Supreme Court is deciding a case on this subject right now. But there's a unique American college that doesn't discriminate based on race. It never has, and it never will. And it's my favorite college, Hillsdale College. Hillsdale was founded in 1844 to educate, quote, all persons, irrespective of nationality, color, or sex, unquote. It continues that policy today, admitting students on the strength of their character, ability, and intentions, not their heritage or background. My friend Larry Arn, the president of Hillsdale College, recently published an article explaining Hillsdale's colorblind policies and its related refusal of government funding, even indirectly in the form of federal student aid. Read it for yourself at levinforhillsdale.com. And after you read it, you may even want to support Hillsdale with a year-end gift. So please go read Dr. Arn's article today at levinforhillsdale.com. That's L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com. I make excuses for nobody. I'm a special pleader for nobody, but on the other hand, I think for myself. I could have put out a statement like everybody else. But Twitter's not a place. It's 140 characters, right, Mr. Producer? Where I can say what I want to say. And I want to say what I want to say, not what everybody else thinks somebody else should say. And so, when it comes to an apology, I think a lot of people owe apologies. If we demand an apology from Donald Trump, then we ought to demand an apology from MSNBC for hiring Al Sharpton and Joy Reid. We ought to demand an apology from Joe Scarborough as well for putting on Al Sharpton repeatedly. We ought to demand an apology from all the Democrats who play footsie with Farrakhan. What a demand an apology from Talib and Omar. Oh, and AOC in the gang. What a demand an apology from members of the Congressional Black Caucus. And from those communities who practice anti-Semitism every day. We should be demanding apologies from our colleges and universities. You'll make your own decision about who you support in the primaries or in general elections or all the rest. And I'm still waiting for the real apology, not an excuse like they wrote from the New York Times for covering up the Holocaust and having one of their boys over there in Berlin regurgitating Hitler's lines. I'm still waiting for the apology from the New York Times from its repeated hiring of anti-Semitic Palestinians who are reporting about matters in the Middle East. Oh, really? 
And they're cartoonists, of course. Who can forget that? If everybody says an apology, I guess the problem will go away. Right, America? And by the way, over at Harvard, they have found a new minority to to discriminate against Asians. Harvard is in the Supreme Court of the United States insisting that as a right to discriminate against Asian Americans. Think about that one. I'll be right back. This segment of the podcast is exclusively sponsored by Pure Talk. Pure Talk offers great coverage and can save your family money on your wireless bill every single month. Go to puretalk.com to find the plan that's right for you. Thank you again for listening, and thank you so much for this sponsorship, Pure Talk. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877 All right. J. Michael Ludig used to be a friend of mine. I haven't talked to him in a long time. I have no interest in talking to him now, quite frankly. I first met him when I was 20, going to law school. And I was interning for the administrative assistant to the Chief Justice of the United States, back then Warren Berger. He had had the same position at one point later on. I believe he went to the University of Virginia Law School. He clerked for Chief Justice Berger, not once, but twice. And they were very, very close. He'd somebody who I supported way back when to uh, to go on the U.S. Supreme Court. And all I can say is uh, I'm glad he didn't. I'm glad he didn't. Because in the end, he left the circuit court. He went to work for Boeing as general counsel for some period of time. And now he's busy writing things. And it's it's too bad when you allow your politics, in my humble opinion, to affect your straightforward understanding and reading of the Constitution. There's something that the left, the Democrats, and now individuals like Ludig, and he's not alone. There's some other Republicans on the bench who, who were on the bench saying the same thing who talk about this doctrine of independent state legislature theory. Now, they use that phrase because the left started to use that phrase after the Bush versus Gore decision in 2000. Now, we've talked about this, but I need to bring it up now because they're all trying to influence the members of the Supreme Court to rule the wrong way. So let us begin at the beginning. Let us begin at the beginning. When it comes to 
making laws that affect the electoral college and the electoral process. Who gets to make those laws? The states, okay. What does the Constitution actually say? Well, the framers didn't just say the states, they said the legislature. The state legislatures. Well, why would they say that if they didn't mean it? Well, people like Ludig and others don't really tell us. They tell us, follow the text, the originalists, but then on the other hand, don't follow the text and don't be originalists. You've got to read things into this. Well, they did say the state legislature. So why is this an independent state legislature theory when it literally is in the Constitution of the United States? What makes it a theory? And that's what we need to get into, unfortunately, because even people like Ludig are misleading you in my view. Each state shall appoint in such matter as the legislature thereof may direct. A number of electors equal to and so forth. Now how are these electors to be chosen? How are these electors to be chosen under Article 2, Section 1, Clause 2? Well, it's up to the legislature to decide. At least it was. And the first time around, the state legislatures did it in different ways, ladies and gentlemen. Did you know that? There's no uniform method. Well, now, 48 states, the popular vote, and two states... Uh, break it down into congressional districts. But that wasn't always the case. At all. In fact, early on, a few of the states, actually, the legislatures, chose the electors. Didn't even bother having a vote. They chose the electors. That's how powerful the state legislatures were. Over time, that would change. Some had votes... But you actually had cases where state legislatures chose the electors. So just as at the federal level, we have three branches of government at the state level. The executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Now the federal constitution states that the state legislatures will determine how electors are chosen. As long as you don't violate some other fundamental aspect of the Constitution like well now we have the 14th Amendment you know, in other words you're not discriminating based on race or something like that so putting all that aside because that's not what we're talking about okay so that's in the Constitution in black and white so even Ludig should be able to read it now what about judicial review we saw this Last round of elections, the state courts had a lot to say. The state courts. So did the federal courts. They had a lot to say when they changed the election laws, but not when it came to fraud. So let's put fraud aside for now. Changing election laws. Where is judicial review in the Constitution? It isn't in the Constitution. What are we to make of that? The Marbury versus Madison decision is celebrated by a lot of people, not by me, but by a lot of other people. 
because it enshrined the idea that, in fact, the Supreme Court could strike down an act of Congress as unconstitutional. Chief Justice John Marshall, here's his famous line, quote, It is emphatically the duty of the Judicial Department to say what the law is. Those who apply the rule to particular cases must of necessity expound and interpret the rule. If two laws conflict with each other, the court must decide on the operation of each. Marbury versus Madison. Okay. That would change everything. What about the states? Well, it's a sketchy history, but there's some level of judicial review in the states at that time. <clears throat> Excuse me. But we're talking about the federal constitution in terms of counting electors for president and vice president of the federal government. That is, of the United States, not of a state government. Now, let's continue. With me so far, Mr. Producer? Everybody else? So did judicial review is an implied power. And a lot of people, libertarians and others, will say, well, kind of, but, you know, in the states, this state, that state, they had judicial review, and, of course, England had levels of... I'm not talking about inferences and implications. I'm talking about our history. And so judicial review became increasingly powerful from about 1820 to 1860. Now, one of the judicial review decisions in the 1850s that overthrew a federal law, you may have heard of it, Dred Scott. Wasn't a very good decision, was it, America? But there you had... Supreme Court review, judicial review. And in that decision, the Supreme Court essentially, effectively, upheld slavery. Now what about the lower courts, the federal district courts and the circuit courts in the Constitution? They're not in the Constitution. They're created by Congress under the authority of the Constitution. So every single federal district court and every single circuit, a.k.a. appellate court, is created by Congress. So judicial review is implied. The district courts and the circuit courts didn't exist. They had to be created by acts of Congress. And yet there is that language in the Constitution in black and white about the state legislatures deciding on the electors. Now, I've done a lot of research and studying on the states and the state practices to some extent of judicial review. And I'll tell you what's interesting. When it comes to judicial review, even then, this implied idea of judicial review was considered to be very limited. That is, a court might strike down a statute, might uphold a statute, but it would never rewrite a statute. Or even worse, it would never create a law and impose it 
on a state legislature. That didn't happen until much, much later. And for the most part, you know what we call that, Mr. Producer? Judicial activism. So even the doctrine of judicial review, or in this case, implied judicial review, wasn't viewed as authorizing courts to have wide, equitable latitude, if you will, to rewrite laws. Not until much, 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 much later it developed into that because mostly the so-called progressive movement, Woodrow Wilson in particular, said the courts are the place where we can get the most done ideologically, policy-wise, and politically. And so you had a, a massive expansion of court activism, and then, of course, under the New Deal, where they threatened to pack the court and all the rest, it went absolutely nuts. So you wind up with courts making law. That's not judicial review. That's a violation of separation of powers. Every bit as much as if the President of the United States uses executive orders like legislation. The courts are not supposed to write legislation. Now I want to talk briefly about a sponsor. We're going to take a little break. Bookmark in your head where we are, in your mind. Because I want to take it from there. I told you, this show's different. It's just the way it is. It's the way I do business here. But this issue's coming up. And you have people slapping together arguments, very arrogant, sanctimonious, like Ludig and others, telling you, basically, that the state legislatures don't have the final say, even though the Constitution says they do. And part of the problem with this is you have guys like Ludig and others, who were on the bench relatively recently, and they embrace this whole trajectory of judicial supremacy. Even though they argue they don't, they do. And so they take judicial review to the extreme. They have become, in their own rights, activists of sorts. One last thing. The three justices. The three justices in Bush versus Gore, which I'll underscore in a moment after the break who said the most in that decision about the power of the state legislature, in that case, Florida. Florida was reconvening to choose the electors and to have the final say, not the state Supreme Court, the three justices included Antonin Scalia, Clarence Thomas, and the Chief Justice William Rehnquist, three of the greatest men to ever serve on the Supreme Court. This is not some haywire theory. This is reality. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data 
Just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L E V I N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Now, a state legislature exercising its federal authority in selecting electors must still comply with its state constitution. Mark, isn't this a contradiction? Not in the least. It still must comply with its state constitution. Now, that said, in terms of state judicial review. In no way and in no place does a state court have the authority to second-guess the actual decisions of a state legislature outside determining whether they're complying with the state constitution. So in the case of the Pennsylvania Supreme Court, it doesn't get to change dates for providing mail-in ballots. It doesn't get to change signature requirements. It doesn't get to change requirements for putting dates on the exterior of the ballots, on the envelopes. It doesn't get to make those decisions. There's nothing to do with the state constitution. Nothing. That's an activist state court violating both the state constitution, in the case of Pennsylvania, and the federal constitution. Now, Mike Ludick has such a hate on for Trump and such an obsession, and he's so proud of his recent notoriety, which will won't even be a footnote to a footnote to a footnote in history. Uh, he confounds all of this. It's a big mash. But it's actually quite simple. It's worked for a long time. So the Democrats started suing in 2000. And then their guy, Mark Elias, and the other ambulance-chasing slip-and-fall lawyers were going into courts, favorable Democrat courts, many of whom are elected, are populated with elected judges, are going to governors. Now, if Mike Ludig is right, and I'm wrong, and if the rest of the left is right and I'm wrong, that means the state legislature language has no meaning whatsoever. None. Zero. That means a bureaucrat in the Board of Elections for a state could make final determinations. That means a Secretary of State, most of which didn't even exist at the time, they could make final decisions. That means the body politic has no say. That means bureaucrats, executive branch officials, and the courts have the final say. In part because it takes a legislature time to act. So if I'm wrong, that provision is read totally out of the Constitution of the United States. Totally out of the Constitution. 
And then we have a further disaster on our hands, don't we? But I'm not wrong, I'm right. Whether the Supreme Court rules that way or not, this is pretty straightforward stuff. The independent state legislative theory, it's called the Constitution, genius. And the only reason it comes up now is because of the Democrat Party and all the litigation and all the interference by state judges and state Supreme Courts. Didn't happen before. Certainly not like this. Happens now because of the way they've destroyed the voting system on the Democrat side and the courts. They've destroyed it in many respects. So now you have this debate which really never took place before. I'll be right back. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you could get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values, and I invite you to switch to pure talk too they're my guys switch to pure talk in less than 10 minutes go to puretalk.com and our promo code levin podcast that's l-e-v-i-n podcast to save 50 percent off your first month again puretalk.com and enter promo code levin podcast mark levin the research arm of conservative media call in now 877-381-3811 All right. By the way, the question every single Republican is being asked as they go on these TV shows, these hostile news shows is, should Trump apologize or not? And of course, they all say yes, he should. But they don't say anything else. Okay. He should apologize. So should Biden. So should Obama. No, nothing. And this is how it works. This is why I said, if you in your heart and soul are truly upset by this, truly, earnestly, I understand it. I really do. Particularly those who support Trump and love Trump. But those out there in the media, or at these aggregator sites, they're not serious about anti-Semitism. They never have been. Go there now. Go look at the Drudge Report. Go look at media. Go look at all of them. Go read the New York Times and the Washington Post if you must. Watch the nightly news programs. They never even talk about it. Particularly when it comes to Democrats, why do they keep promoting AOC and Omar and Talib? Why don't they mention the Congressional Black Caucus? Why didn't they condemn Keith Ellison when all that activity was taking place in Minnesota and remind people who he was and is? Why don't they do these things? 
because they're not serious about anti-Semitism. They don't have reporters in Brooklyn showing what's going on. They don't take you to synagogues where virtually every synagogue now has armed security or members who are armed and trained. They don't show you that. Why don't they? Or they don't point out what hypocrites Joe Scarborough and his ilk are, or these, or these companies, these media companies that hire anti-Semites and bigots to be hosts or to be commentators. Comcast, AT&T. Why don't they point it out if they're serious? They want to have a discussion about it. But they won't. If Trump were to get on his hands and knees right now and beg for forgiveness, it wouldn't matter to these people. It wouldn't matter at all, and we all know it. And we all know it. He needs to have people around him at Mar-a-Lago and elsewhere who are going to help manage who visits and who doesn't. Who can look into who Fuentes, what's his name? Fuentes, Nick Fuentes, who he is. In the case of Kanye West, that's enough with this Kanye West already. It's enough. Now, what's MSNBC going to do with Sharpton? What's the Congressional Black Caucus going to do with Farrakhan? They can actually pass a resolution, the Democrats condemning anti-Semitism among their membership and in their party. What are they going to do? They're not going to do anything. Period. They're not going to apologize for their associations with Sharpton and Farrakhan. They'll keep kissing Sharpton's ring. It's not just him, though. You know what they're having? I think it's tomorrow in Philadelphia, Mr. Producer. I think it's Celebrate Palestinian Day. The ZOA in Philadelphia, I saw this statement from them. It's today or yesterday or tomorrow, the next day. And the Jews are frightened there. When's the last time there was a hearing? Or better yet, when is the last time this administration, under the Democrats, who are aligned with and sympathetic to the professoriate and academia and so forth, called out the anti-Semitism on our college campuses and in our universities? When's the last time they did that? When's the first time they did it? Never. Ever. Pelosi hold any hearings? No. For that matter, has Mitch McConnell asked for any hearings? No. Has Schumer? No. Why? Why is that? There's a lot of reasons for it. A lot of it is cover-up. The Democrat Party is a coalition or loose combination of economic and ethnic groups. And in order to have a hearing like that, certain ethnic groups will have their toes stepped on. It's the truth. 
they're never going to hold a hearing on it. Certainly not in modern times, anytime recently. Joe Biden. Joe Biden just appointed a Israel hater to a major position in dealing with the Palestinian leadership. Now, why did he do that? Why did he agree to send hundreds of millions of our dollars to the Palestinian Authority contravening the Taylor Act that Trump had signed when they will not they will not give up terrorism? Hmm? You won't read about this on Mediaite, on Drudge, on all the rest of the Mediocre sites, I guess we call them. Mediocreite. Nothing. I'm just pointing that out. You won't see Chuck Todd say, see, say to a Democrat in the ministry, why are, you, why are we sending hundreds of millions to the Palestinians who are still not swearing off terrorism and subsidizing existing terrorists who are in their jails, excuse me, in Israeli jails and subsidizing their families? That question wasn't asked once. To any Democrat. Not once. Why? One person, last time I checked a few weeks ago, one person was charged with anti Semitic hate crimes in Brooklyn. One person, despite the fact scores of them have occurred. Why is that? Why is it? These are serious questions. They wanted to talk about it, and I'm talking about it. Why is it that Jewish kids at Rutgers and other places can't wear their yarmulkes or kippahs? Why is it that when they're in a New York subway, they have to take off their, their yarmulkes and kippahs or their Star Davids around their neck? They have to hide them. Why is that? Why is that, Mediaite? Why is that, Drudge? You creep. Why is it? You want to talk about it? Let's talk about it. I'm happy to do it. It's sickening. It's amazing that it goes on. Why is it that 65% of the hate crimes in this country happen to this tiny minority of people? Why is that? Because of Trump? I'm sick and tired of these self-righteous people issuing statements. Here's my pronouncement. Here's my declaration. I want an apology. I want action. I want action. Media coverage. But no. No. Not from the Washington Post, not from the New York Times, not from nightly news on NBC or ABC or CBS, not from CNN, not from MSNBC. Why are anti-Semites, ladies and gentlemen? Okay, 
people want to talk about it. I'm talking about it. why are anti-Semites dressed up as hosts hired by major broadcast corporations to spew their hate. Some quite straightforward, others camouflaged. Why is that? Why is that? I'm just curious. And why does media not cover it? They must have five or ten posts on Donald Trump. And why is Drudge obsessed with Trump but not obsessed with fighting anti-Semitism, if that's what he's really concerned about? Because he's not. He could care less. Megan McCain could care less. It's not like this is a big issue for her. Chris Christie could care less. Asia Hutchison, of all people, he could care less. You know how I know they could care less? Where have they been? Where have they been? Have you heard them say anything before? Not much. I haven't. Have you? Why not? Where's Schumer been? Isn't Brooklyn in his state, Mr. Producer? Where's Gillibrand been? Isn't Brooklyn in her state? Al Sharpton talking about anti-Semitism on Joe Scarborough's program. That's, that's pretty funny in a sick way. Well, who's doing these things in Brooklyn, Joe? Who's doing these things on our college campuses, Joe? Let's have a chat about it. What do you say? Which party has people promoting anti-Semitism? Which party? Well, there's one party. One party. And so, I'm happy to talk about this. The New York Times has a lot of explaining to do. It's past and it's present. Nobody asks Maggie Hagerman when she's on, what is she, CNN? I don't even listen to this fool. But the clips are out there. So the question is, why does she work at that newspaper? And why doesn't she talk about who pays her and why she thinks it's great to work at a corporation that has blood on its hands? Why don't you apologize to the nation, Maggie? Because you have more than lunch at the New York Times. You get paid by the New York Times. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. There's literally no reason to pay Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile over $80 a month for wireless when you can get the same service on the same network at Pure Talk for half the price. Yep, talk, text, and blazing fast data, just 30 bucks a month. Those other guys are making you pay for thousands of retail stores you don't go into, perks you don't use, and massive profits to keep their shareholders happy. You know who Pure Talk wants to keep happy? Their customer, you. That's why they've invested in a U.S.-based customer service team. It's why they give you more data options than unlimited, because they won't charge you for data you don't need. 
I switched to Pure Talk because I like supporting a company owned by a U.S. veteran. I like supporting a company who supports me and my values. And I invite you to switch to Pure Talk, too. They're my guys. Switch to Pure Talk in less than 10 minutes. Go to puretalk.com and our promo code Levin Podcast. That's L E V I N Podcast to save 50% off your first month. Again, puretalk.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. This is from the, uh, let's see, the uh, Greater Philadelphia ZOA. About tomorrow, there's an outrage, they write, that the city of Philadelphia is hosting an event that essentially denigrates the and reestablish the nation of Israel and attacks the Jewish people's rights and heritage. That is the implicit purpose of the so-called International Day of Solidarity with the Palestinian people. It's an event that the city has scheduled at its municipal services building on November 29. The poster promoting the event with, with its violent imagery makes the anti-Jewish intent of the event crystal clear in this period of unprecedented attacks against Jewish people and institutions, along with the epidemic of incitement of hatred and resentment targeting Jews and all supporters of Israel. Now, I didn't find this on Drudge. I didn't find this on Mediate. I didn't find this anywhere. Why? I thought today we're talking about anti-Semitism. Here's an entire city in the United States. Why isn't it news? Why isn't it news? You know why. The poster for the city of Philadelphia event prominently features three clenched fists and three flags of the terrorist group, the Palestinian Liberation Organization. This is the city doing this. The PLO has murdered and maimed thousands of Jewish civilians, also scores of American and European civilians, and its untold number of murdered terrorist attacks dating back to 1964 and continuing to this day. In fact, the PLO currently offers rich financial rewards to people who murder and otherwise attack Jews. And ladies and gentlemen, some of that is your money put back in place by Joe Biden. Whoa. How about that? Is Joe Biden going to apologize to us? Poster declares that the Philadelphia event is sponsored by the Office of the City Representative and Mayor Kenny's Office of Immigrant Affairs. Last year, at a similar event, Mayor Kenny, at least three members of the Philadelphia City Council, and state lawmakers spoke, and the event was condemned by the ZOA. Now, what do you think of that, America? They want to talk about this, or do they? No, I don't think they do. Do you? Jew and Gentile alike, patriots all. You get my points here? The left could care less about anti-Semitism, racism, or all the rest of it. If they can exploit it for political purposes, that's exactly what they'll do, especially in the media. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to ask you a question. Did you know withdrawing your cash from the bank can be very risky? That's right. Banks are now required to spy on us for the government. And they report any behavior they think is suspicious. It's true. And I was shocked when I read this secret war on cash from Swiss America. 
The new war against cash is really a war against the Constitution, against all freedom-loving Americans. So you need to read The War on Cash. Get your free copy by calling 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. Now, this war on cash is growing daily and also includes all forms of digital money. Please get and read The Secret War on Cash free to my listeners by calling now, 800-630-1492, 800-630-1492, or visit SwissAmerica.com. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Mike Quigley is somebody from Illinois, a Democrat. No surprise there. And he's on MSNBC yesterday. And these people make such stupid comments. I want you to hear this, then I want to respond to it. Cut 11, go. Your reaction to Kevin McCarthy, I mean, his threats of investigations, if the secretary doesn't resign, is this what we can expect if Kevin McCarthy becomes Speaker of the House? This is Alex Nitwit. Alex Nitwit, one of the hosts, and they're all of a sudden very concerned about investigations. Pretty funny, isn't it? Go ahead. Is this an appropriate tone or approach to address issues with immigration? You know, I think we've heard about this for coming months. What kind of a question is this, you idiot? kind of a question is this? How come you didn't ask him, should Talib and Omar and AOC apologize for their anti-Semitic statements in the recent past? How come you didn't ask him that, by the way? Go ahead. Uh, McCarthy preaching to the faithful. He knows he's going to be in a tight race for speaker within his own party to get to that threshold number. So uh, he's attempting to appease them on an early stage. You know, we impeach for people, for presidents who incite uh, violent insurrections and attempted coups. We impeach presidents. You know, I'm so sick of this lie. There was no insurrection. There was no attempted coup. There was no armed uprising. It's all a lie. Was the building breached by some idiots? Yes. Some of them were violent? Yes. But there was no overthrow of the government. This is just so over the top. I'm so sick of it. And of course, attacking the White House, as I've said before, trying to get the President of the United States and hang him from a telephone pole. Oh, ho-hum. Big deal. Trying to to knock out the head of of the second branch of government. Oh, well, it's Trump. What do you expect? Go ahead who attempt to extort our allies like Ukraine. We don't impeach for policy disagreements. Oh, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Attempted to extort Ukraine? Seriously? When sober historians look at this, assuming they're left, they're going to find this an appalling abuse of power. But that said, America, didn't Joe Biden... 
didn't Joe Biden ask the Saudi Arabians not to cut back on the production of fuel till after the midterm election? Didn't he do that, Mr. Medusa? I see. And didn't Joe Biden just agree that sovereign immunity applies to the inbred prince or whatever they call him over there at Saudi Arabia? And it does, but he didn't have to. But didn't he just do that, America? Yes, he did. And didn't the, the inbred say in response, well, maybe we will increase production. No, 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 you don't understand, Mark. That's not an impeachable offense. How about not complying with the Constitution, Quigley? Is that an impeachable offense when it comes to securing our border and immigration laws? No, that's just a policy difference. How about multiple times being shot down by federal courts for violation of separation of powers and assuming the power of the House and the Senate, but ultimately the House, in spending monies that have not been approved by Congress? Oh, that's just a a policy difference. Quigley. Quigley. Well-named, I might add. You thought... Ladies and gentlemen, you thought that this last gun control effort, bipartisan, even bisexual, but definitely bipartisan, by Mitch McConnell meeting them on the 40-yard line, by John Cornyn of the great state of Texas and other frauds and phonies and fools, you thought maybe that would do it. No. Here's Biden in Nantucket, Massachusetts. Very busy, this man. No wonder he runs for president. He gets free vacations all the time, Mr. Producer. He gets free travel, free protection, free walls, free everything. He doesn't have to shake down the communist Chinese. Cut 13, go. The idea we still allow semi-automatic weapons to be purchased is sick. You don't allow them, moron, and you're the one who's sick. They're in the Constitution, remember? It's the choice between democracy and autocracy. Probably the most autocratic president we've ever had, and that's saying something. We allow you to have these weapons. Thank God for the framers. Thank God for the Bill of Rights that were later pushed by the states and adopted the first ten amendments. Thank goodness. Can you imagine free speech? Poof. Free exercise of religion, poof, we'd be communist China right now. As it is. As it is, we're losing ground, those of us who believe in liberty. Go ahead. It has no, no social redeeming value. Zero, none. Not a single solitary rationale for it except profit for the gun manufacturers. Uh, Profit for the gun manufacturers, that's it. So when you folks go and you buy guns, are you doing it so the manufacturers can get rich so the big gun big oil big baby formula big agriculture big tampon big mouth here Joe Biden now we buy them because we need them and want them for protection for target shooting but you know you undermine the cops and I what do you need a semi-automatic weapon for I don't know if somebody breaks into my house I sure as hell hope I have one And I do, by the way. 
We have more than one. That's what we want them for, Joe. Is that okay with you? Is that okay with you, Joe? And Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who had this bipartisan bill passed, oh, this is great. Just the beginning. Just the start. He's got an idea. Let's defund the police anywhere where there are Second Amendment sanctuary states. Cut 14, go. Now, what we've, I think, learned in Colorado is that the county in which the shooting happened is a so-called Second Amendment sanctuary state. And I think the country is going to have to learn about what's going on. So that's what caused it. And but for that, ladies and gentlemen, but for that, the psycho who went in there and shot all those innocent people, murdered them, would not have access to a weapon and wouldn't have done that. Now, how stupid is this? It's idiotic. And it's funny how they don't talk about Idaho. Four people murdered, a mass murder with a knife. And apparently it's much more complicated to solve than one with a gun. All say the same thing. James Clyburn. Farrakhan. The police are... Remember when he was damning the police? Cut 16, go. Just because it's illegal does not make it the right thing. I tell people all the time the institution of slavery was legal, but it was not right. It was immoral. It was immoral. Owning a gun is not immoral, you moron. It's another guy who talks about Nazi Germany. It's a moron. But then again, he supported Biden, and people say, well, you know what, without, without Jimmy Clyburn, we never would have been there, you know, Biden would not be. Oh, really? So James Clyburn, the number three, or was, or soon, won't be, in the Democrat majority at this time. In fact, the only candidate running who was a racist and segregationist for years and opposed integration of our schools. Good job, James! They're all clowns, all these people on the left. They're just all clowns. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. In Communist China, Communist Chinese Party, the Communist Party, the people are rising up in various places in that country, particularly its major city, Shanghai, which has over 20 million people. Mr. Producer, has the Biden administration issued a statement in support of democracy there? Has the Biden, the answer is no, right? Has the Biden administration issued a statement in support of the protesters there? No. The people in Iran, the Iranian people, are not the regime. The vast majority of the people are good people who do not embrace the Islamo-Nazi regime that's there. They are brutalized. 
They had been rising up for six weeks. Have you heard the Biden administration speak about them? Have you heard the Biden administration on a regular effort, daily effort, pounding away at the rights of those people? No. These are two enemy regimes. The communist Chinese regime and the Islamo-Nazi regime in Tehran. Now in Israel, they'll pound the hell out of Netanyahu. Trust me on this. Or the Republicans, they'll attack the Republicans. Or they'll attack Donald Trump. Go to Mediaite. Just for now, they like the clicks I send there, but just take a look. Count how many posts and clippings they have on Trump. Now count how many they have on Iran. Count how many they have on China. They're frauds, phonies, and fools. Same with that creep, that weirdo drudge. There's a real world out there with real things happening. And this administration seems to be on the wrong side almost all the time. Almost all the time. Because they embrace these regimes. What am I talking about? Thomas Friedman. He has 3,000 Pulitzer Prizes. Writes for the New York Times. Has the vast majority of his career. Very proud of it. Again. Proud to take money from a corporation that has blood on its hands. And he sits there on his fat ass and he writes his columns from a multi-million dollar estate in suburban Maryland, outside of Washington, D.C., because he married into enormous wealth. And as I wrote in Liberty and Tyranny years ago, he praised the Chinese regime. He denounced our government, but he praised the Chinese regime. They can get things done, don't you know? The New York Times and CNN, here's Fox. Anders Hagstrom. Once claimed China won the pandemic, now citizens are revolting. Well, of course, because our media supports, as Biden says, autocracy. The same draconian COVID lockdowns responsible for the eruption of anti-government protests in China were once praised as successful and even necessary by prominent media outlets and health experts. Thousands, it should be tens of thousands of Chinese citizens, have taken to the streets in nearly a dozen cities across China to demand an end to President Xi Jinping's zero-COVID policy, which has resulted in aggressive quarantines and other measures limiting basic rights. It sounds like Gavin Newsom in California, Whitmer in Michigan, Murphy in New Jersey, Cuomo in New York. Doesn't it? Sounds like Biden. In the past, media outlets offered positive coverage of China's lockdowns, which often suggested the country had solved the pandemic more than a year ago. The New York Times declared China's policies triumphant in a February 2021 article titled Power Patriotism and 1.4 Billion People, How China Beat the Virus and Roared Back. In other words, you surrender your liberties, your livelihood, the well-being of your family. And that's patriotism. 
How many reporters have done that at the New York Slimes? How many executives? None. They wrote, in the years since the coronavirus began its march around the world, China's done what many other countries would not and could not do. With equal measures of coercion and persuasion, it has mobilized its vast Communist Party apparatus to reach deep into the private sector and the broader population in what the country's leader, Xi Jinping, has called a people's war against the pandemic and won. The phraseology, no doubt, was orgasmically exciting to the New York Slimes. They went on. The success has positioned China well, economically and diplomatically, the paper asserted, noting Xi offering China's experience as a model for others to follow. The Times wrote that Xi's methods were republic and unacceptable in a democratic society, <coughs> but with China facing the same struggles in 2022 as it was in 2021, the papers claim that the policy that succeeded falls flat. CNN host Farid Zakara, who's this clown? We know he's, he's never-ending over there. Declared China would leave the pandemic in a stronger position than ever in January 2021. China has come out of this pandemic in many ways stronger, he said. Yes, its reputation got battered a bit because of its early handling, but it has essentially vanquished the virus without a vaccine. <coughs> it also has vaccines on board. It is moving forward with much greater confidence in the world. Our media love Marxists. Marxist totalitarian regimes. They love it. They love it. Meanwhile, people have gone hungry. They've gone without clean water. They're forced to sleep in places that are, that are incredibly dangerous and unhealthy. They've locked down entire cities. They've put up barbed wire. They treat them like prison camps. But that's okay. Thomas Friedman thinks China's cool. Bloomberg apologized to them. The NBA is silent. And we go on. There's Trump to attack. Mark Levin, America's Paul Revere. Call him now at 877-381-3811. I had mentioned at the beginning of program that uh, Thanksgiving didn't turn out as we had expected. We love Thanksgiving. A whole bunch of us show up in New Jersey, my mother-in-law's house, and they cook for days. I don't get it, but they do it. They like to do it. I think it's exciting. Everybody's together. Me, I'm not into the cooking. I'm into the eating. Well, you know, we we have one dog now, Marty. And uh, Marty has had lymphoma and uh, that was found out in August and he's been getting treatments for the last three months and my wife would take him to the uh, oncologist's office Southpaw it's called every Wednesday not that close and then it reached a point where he was wearing a diaper. And also we needed a special uh, device <clears throat> because his hind legs uh, were giving out. And they were giving out because of operation he got as a pup. 
um, some hip operation, both hips. And, uh, you know, he and Barney, at first they didn't get along great, but they would learn very quickly to get along great. They became buddies, <clears throat> and one would bark, and then the next would bark, and it was really hilarious. And there was always a comfort in knowing that they were together when we had to go somewhere or something like that. But my wife originally got Marty. Marty was actually returned. He was adopted from a lost dog and cat, our favorite no-kill shelter in Virginia. <clears throat> and um, the people had adopted him and then decided they didn't want him anymore because he had this issue with his hips, which is pretty outrageous. And then uh, my wife adopted him. And that was a little over 15 years ago. Now, I got to know Marty 10 or 11 years ago. And uh, about 60 pounds, you know, mixed breed. And just the nicest dog. Decent, kind, smart. Uh, and insisted on, on being with a family member or the family. You know, some dogs walk off, they want to be by them. Not Marty. Marty wanted to be with somebody at all times. And pretty much was. And pretty much was. Then, uh, he was starting to cough in a strange way, to clear his throat, sort of. The lymphoma had been in remission briefly. And then the tests were taken, and it came roaring back. So he got treated with the third kind of chemo on Monday. Because he wasn't breathing so great. And uh, without going into all the details, on Thursday on Thanksgiving, <coughs> we... Uh, we had to put him to sleep. And it's uh, enormously sad around here. Very sad. He was a great dog. Absolutely great dog. A happy-go-lucky dog. He uh, seemed to know what was going on all the time. He liked human food. I slipped it to him more often than not. Just didn't tell everybody. <clears throat> Even the day before he went in, I didn't know it would be that close to the end, but I slipped him some. And he was loved in the neighborhood. Everybody knew Marty like they had known Barney. Wouldn't hurt a fly. Did like his food. And so we lost Marty. And uh, family's very upset. Julie is completely broken up. And um, we had that Thanksgiving dinner because <clears throat> so many people had come. Everybody was fantastic. They understood what took place. And um, just great, great people. Family and friends. 
uh, in New Jersey. I drove back Saturday, trying to avoid the Sunday rush. But Saturday there were a lot of cars too. Came back by myself. My wife and mother-in-law will be coming back soon. Things to do. And when you come into a house, fairly large house, and it's empty, and what you see <clears throat> are the bowls in the two beds. He had a bed downstairs and a bed upstairs because of his situation. And it's absolutely silent. No Barney, no Marty. <clears throat> it's very difficult. As you know, I've taken on this writing project, and I've been trying all weekend to get kick-started again, but I can't. It'll come in due course. So, uh, <clears throat> that's why Thanksgiving didn't turn out the way we thought it would. And, it's always been my favorite holiday. <clears throat> I don't know if it'll be in the future, I just don't know. So that's the situation. And when my wife and mother-in-law return, I will post a couple pictures of Marty so you can see him, who he was. And at the very end, it was particularly upsetting. He was in a sort of a holding tank getting oxygen. <clears throat> the whole holding tank had oxygen in it, so it wasn't over his snout. And he looked at you with those big brown eyes, particularly my wife. He really adored her. And uh, much, not all the family, but much of the family. And you could see he was tired. He, uh, not that they know exactly what's going on, but he knew things weren't right. And you know, those last few minutes, you try and get every, squeeze every bit of life out of it that you can. Memories, <coughs> touching them and kissing them and so forth. And then, you have to give the word to do what has to be done. I'm sure there are harder things in life, but not many. Not many. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Did you know Fast Growing Trees is the biggest online nursery in America with more than 10,000 different kinds of plants and over 2 million happy customers in the U.S.? They have everything you could possibly want, like fruit trees, palm trees, evergreens, houseplants, much, much more. Whatever you're interested in, they have it for you. Find the perfect fit for your climate and space. Fast Growing Trees makes it easy to order online and your plants are shipped directly to your door 
in one to two days. And along with their 30-day Alive and Thrive guarantee, they offer free plant consultation forever. My wife Julie and I decided it was time to add more flowering trees to our landscape, and Fast Growing Tree was a great resource for us. A large selection and no hassle ordering or shipping. This spring, they have the best deals online, up to half off on selected plants and other deals. And listeners to our show get an additional 15% off their first purchase when using the code LEVIN at checkout. L-E-V-I-N. Now that's an additional 15% off at FastGrowingTrees.com using code LEVIN at checkout. FastGrowingTrees.com. Code L-E-V-I-N. Offer is valid for a limited time. Terms and conditions may apply. Please visit FastGrowingTrees.com for details. The last two uh, Life, Liberty, and Levins, the, the, the one two weeks ago was a rerun, but a great one with Benjamin Netanyahu. And this past Sunday, yesterday, was a special where I... Uh, five authors were picked, and we had many more excellent authors, too. Uh, so we didn't have it really heavy on Thanksgiving. I had taped it last week. And starting this Sunday, again, there will be fresh, brand-new shows of Life, Liberty, and Levin. So those of you who are disappointed, no longer do you need to be disappointed. So again, starting this Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern, we will have brand-new programming for you. Um, you know, I'm a workhorse. This is what I do. I try not to miss anything, but now and then things happen. So it's the way it goes. Um, I've often told you, when I'm gone, it's typically for family or I'm not feeling well. And so, obviously, last week was Thanksgiving and family. So that's why I wasn't here. I want to thank Rich Zioli for filling in. And um, I want to thank you folks for uh, putting up with me. It's very, very much appreciated. Now, I've got a lot of clips here from really nasty people saying nasty things. I don't really want to end the show this way. Uh, The war on Elon Musk is unbelievable. The desire to take him down by the Biden administration. I mean, the use of the federal government this way is truly sickening. I'm deeply worried about this appointment of a special counsel. I will talk about this more tomorrow because these guys are on jihads. They're not interested in justice. This guy in particular has a very nasty reputation. This guy, Jack Smith. And the idea that they're going to try and take out Trump from the private sector over documents, none of which was abused, or try and pin January 6th on him is just unbelievable. It's unbelievable. They're trying to concoct issues. It's really troubling to me. I would also like to say to my friends at National Review, my former buddy Andy, I'm not sure you know the history of National Review and Bill Buckley, who was a hero of mine. I'm not sure you're aware of what he wrote in 1957, 1960, and other times where he defended segregation as a cultural issue in the South. He would later renounce it. He would later renounce it and say he was wrong. But you would think they would keep that that historical knowledge in their head over there. 
rather than their unrelenting, vicious attacks, particularly by McCarthy <clears throat> on Trump, who they never supported in the first place. There's a beautiful piece by Victor Davis Hanson I would like to commend to you at American Greatness. And he is one of the greats. He's one of the great thinkers. Was Trump our Captain Quigg? And will the Never Trumpers finally be exposed? And he goes on. It's a very balanced piece. It's a significant piece, and I want to encourage you to read it. It's dated November 27. You can get it online, American Greatness, Victor Davis Hanson. And uh, I thought it was a very truthful, well-written piece. <clears throat> but he does make a point. You might say, well, it's obvious, but when we're caught up in the static, not so. He has his criticisms for Trump. But he also says, the man's a human being. And when you have people trying to destroy you before you're elected, when you're elected, and after you're elected, the only president to be impeached twice and for what? And to have federal investigations going on during almost the entirety of your presidency for no reason whatsoever. And to have your finances gone through and now your taxes and to have your family so abused. To have a media that's 99.9% character assassinating you day in and day out, night and night on the TV. How would you react? How would you react? No president has ever faced this. None. You and I, we will back who we choose down the road in the Republican primary process. That's not my point. That's not my point at all. Joe Biden was a real racist and segregationist. He was the real deal. And they nominated him. And he's in the Oval Office. Barack Obama was an anti-Semite, the real deal. Democrats on Capitol Hill roaming the hallways of that building, many of them, real anti-Semites. The New York Times supporting Stalin, supporting the Third Reich, supporting Castro, are they really in a position to pass judgment on people? These people who want to work at the New York Times and get paid by that corporation, it's, it's a corporation after all. That's why I said, certain things are in the heart and soul, I understand it. But too much of what we deal with is exploitation by the media and the Democrats and the rhinos and the never-Trumpers. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, emergency personnel, our trucker brothers and sisters. I'm sorry what Biden did to you folks. The men and women in China, the men and women in Taiwan, the men and women in, in Ukraine, the men and women in Iran. We stand with you against those regimes. God bless. 